Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. So if you and or your team are still taking phone calls and receiving vendor supporting documentation via email, you need to authenticate that you are talking or communicating with your vendor. Please visit deborahrrichardson.com slash authentication where you will find a workshop on how to build an authentication reference. This is the answer to the question, are you communicating with your vendor or with a fraudster? Learn more today at Deborah R. Richardson slash authentication. So remember the best practice to create a general or generic AP mailbox to consolidate one place to receive emails that each applicable team member could access? Yeah, well, cyber criminals know this and are taking advantage. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 109, AP General Mailboxes Are Being Attacked, Two Resources to Validate Vendor Domains. According to Abnormal Security's quarterly BEC or Business Email Compromise report for Q3 2020, one of the key takeaways besides the facts Uh, fact that BEC attacks are up 15%. But one of the other key takeaways is that cyber criminals are moving from targeting the email boxes of employees in finance departments that is down 53% to targeting group mailboxes, which is up 212%. Now, given that most AP teams are using general group email boxes as a more efficient method to process emails, I thought I'd share a couple of resources to verify the email domains of those requests. Now, the cause for that additional validation um, can be seen in this article by Dark Reading, and the article is called Criminals Hide Malware and Phishing Sites Under SSL Certificates. And it was published earlier this year, and they reported that many phony sites are popping up as part of the cyber criminal strategy to appear legitimate. And here's a quote from the article. Cyber criminals are increasingly relying on SSL certificates to lull people into a false sense of security when clicking malicious links. The assumption that HTTPS links and the accompanying lock icon protect employees from an attack can threaten businesses without sufficient SSL inspection, end quote. 
Now, while in this podcast, I may not be talking about fishing and malware, it's still the fact that, or it shows the fact that cyber criminals have these sites that appear to be legitimate. And just because it appears to be legitimate, if you get an email in that AP general mailbox, um, there's a couple of other uh, resources that you can use to validate that email domain. Now, keep in mind, I still advocate using authentication techniques to validate who you are um, communicating with via email or telephone. Um, But these two resources, again, are just additional ways to verify even before you do authentication or as an additional validation for new vendors. They can also be used for existing vendors when they send an email using a different email domain since many companies do have multiple entities that an employee can serve. All right, so getting into the two resources. And again, just so you know, there is a link in the show notes to the blog post. And the blog post actually does have some visual images of the two resources. So feel free to click on that link, go over to the blog post and take a look at the uh, images if you wanna see what that looks like or what they look like. All right, so the first one is whois.net, W-H-O, is.net, whois.net. Now this site will tell you how long the site has been around. Um, When you uh, type in whois.net, you'll get immediately the search bar. And so you want to enter the domain of that email address and then review the date register to verify that it was not recently created um, in relation to the expected date. So for example, if you copy the email domain um, from that email, uh, and let's say that's apple.com, and then paste it in the search box, the search results show that the date registered is listed as 2-19-1987, which is expected. However, if the results would have returned a date that shows that the domain was recently created, now that can be a red flag. And then keep in mind that one of the keys to make sure that this search is valid um, to the email that you received is to make sure you copy and paste the the email domain versus type it in. That way you can catch tricks cyber criminals use in the email domain such as, or in the domain period, such as a capital I for uh, a lowercase l, which the human eye, you won't be able to tell that. And if you type in, um, and that could have been the case with Apple. So if you typed in apple.com, then that bypasses the fact that the email you received, that domain in the email address was apple.com, but instead of a lowercase l, it was a capital I. So that was whois.net. Now the second one is the Google reverse image search. Now another way to check the domain um, is to review the website. And 
there are many reasons why many of you will go to a uh, vendor's website. You may need to populate missing data, such as an email address or phone number to call for a confirmation of a banking change. And by the way, that's been kind of the best practice, especially during COVID, is if you don't have that information um, in your vendor master file, and let's say you have a change of data or banking, and you don't have um, the email address or the phone number, the best practice was to go out to their website and find it from, from there versus relying on what was in the email. Well, this is a way that you can verify, actually both of these resources are ways that you can verify that domain. Okay, so here are the steps and I just broke it down into three. So step one is when you get to the website, you want to identify an image. Now here, I would not grab an image that could be from resources such as Unsplash, Shutterstock, or other possible stock photos that's available to anyone. And a great example of that is that one guy where you can't see his head, but behind like a screen of fraud and, and other little diamonds or squares, and he's pushing the fraud um, button. Yeah, so that's everywhere. So don't grab that image. What I normally do is I will go to the About Us page, and then I use an image um, from a member of their team. And then step two, I would search the image. And the way you do that is uh, you would uh, need to save the image and then upload it to images.google.com and using the camera icon in the search box. So when you go to images.google.com, it's going to bring up a search box and that search box will have a camera icon. If you click the camera icon, it's going to ask you for either the um, to paste the image URL or to upload an image. And I typically will save it and then upload that image. Now, step three is where you review the results. So if you see that same image used with different names or in different places, that can be a red flag. But again, you need to make sure it's not an image that would be normal to be used in different places. And by the way, this also works in LinkedIn and I use it if I get a suspicious request to connect. I've avoided many fake profiles using that strategy. And a great example is I did a reverse image search on a uh, new uh, connection request and it pulled up that the image was being used by dental offices all across uh, America and so all uh, nationwide and so I immediately knew that that was a fake profile and what's funny is you know if you go back to the folks and say that they'll They'll give you that, that they'll still respond and give you some kind of uh, explanation. I think that the person said they didn't want to put their photo on LinkedIn. And, you know, what's the point of LinkedIn if you're not going to up upload your photo or your valid photo? So, um, again, I've avoided some suspicious uh, uh, profiles on LinkedIn, and you can use it um, to do the same 
with, uh, with your vendor sites. Now, individually, I do want to say individually, these are not foolproof ways to determine if you are dealing with a real vendor. However, if you combine that with authentication techniques and other vendor validations, it can help you make the decision and be more confident that you avoided fraud, whether or not you the decision was to uh, set the vendor up in your accounting system or ERP, or whether the decision was to not do that and uh, flag that email as suspicious um, because the uh, validations, including these two, came back as suspect. Now, if you have any other tips that you use to determine whether a vendor's domain is valid or not, I would love to hear it and I'm sure some other listeners would love to hear it as well. So please post those as a comment on whatever platform you choose to listen or shoot me an email and I'll see if that's something that can be included in a future podcast. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 109th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.